Hello and welcome. I am Joel McReynolds, and you are listening to my preaching podcast. I have the opportunity to share from God's Word and want to share God's message not only with the congregation of the churches I preach in, but also with you. You can find out more information about me on my website, joelmcreynolds.com, where you can also check out my blog. For now, I hope God speaks to you through today's message. Many students around the world experience this every year. In fact, at last count, 89 countries around the world use this program. Maybe you or your children or your grandchildren have experienced it. It's called a common sense program, where a teenager is sent home with a robot baby that is supposed to simulate what it's like to take care of an infant. And the goal of this common sense program is to reduce teen pregnancy. And it makes intuitive sense. Because if the thought is, if you realize how difficult it is to be a single mom or a single dad, that you would take steps to avoid teen pregnancy. But there's a problem. Recent studies have shown that a teenager who participates in this program is twice as likely as a teenager who does not participate in this program, to have a child by age 20. And that participants were 50% more likely to have an abortion by age 20. Ancient Greek philosophers speculated about the nature of what we call common sense. Common sense describes a sound judgment informed by one's intuition and experiences. But when you boil it down, common sense is almost nothing but our biases and the result of not thinking. Even most psychologists agree, common sense should not always be trusted. In Joshua chapter 9, the Israelites made a common sense decision, and that decision would have lasting effects. So this morning we're going to look at the trouble that comes with following common sense and how to deal with that trouble properly. But before we do, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, your word tells us that fools despise wisdom and instruction, but the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Let us come before you not as fools, but as your servants, seeking your wisdom that you've given us through your word. Open our eyes Enlighten our minds, transform our hearts, and make us more like your Son, Jesus, our Lord and Savior, in whose name I pray. Amen. We're going to begin reading in verse number 3 this morning, through verse 15. When the inhabitants of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and Ai, they also acted craftily and set out as envoys and took worn-out sacks on their donkeys and wineskins worn out and torn and mended, and worn out and patched sandals on their feet, and worn out clothes on themselves, and all the bread of the provision was dry and had become crumbled. They went to Joshua to the camp at Gilgal and said to him and to the men of Israel, We have come from a far country. 
Now therefore make a covenant with us. The men of Israel said to the Hivites, Perhaps you are living within our land. How then shall we make a covenant with you? But they said to Joshua, We are your servants. Then Joshua said to them, Who are you and where do you come from? They said to him, Your servants have come from a very far country because of the fame of the Lord your God. For we have heard the report of him and all that he did in Egypt, and all that he did to the two kings of the Amorites, who were beyond the Jordan, to Sion, king of Heshbon, and to Og, king of Bashan, who was at Ashtaroth. So our elders and all the inhabitants of our country spoke to us, saying, Take provisions in your hand for the journey, and go to meet them, and say to them, We are your servants, now then make a covenant with us. This our bread was warm when we took it out for our provisions, out of our houses on the day that we left to come to you. But now, behold... It is dry and become crumbled. These wineskins which we filled were new, and behold, they are torn. And these are clothes, and our sandals are worn out because of the very long journey. So the men of Israel took some of their provisions and did not ask for the counsel of the Lord. Joshua made peace with them and made a covenant with them to let them live. And the leaders of the congregation swore an oath to them. Egypt's army... Defeated. The kings across the Jordan River killed. The mighty fortress of Jericho, its walls fallen. The city of Ai destroyed in an ambush attack. And despite a minor setback because of sin in Israel's midst, God had given Israel victory after victory. But up till now, they've focused on individual cities. And these city leaders have begun to see the work of God, and to fear Israel and their God. And we find some background information back in verses 1 and 2. It says, Now it came about when all the kings who were beyond the Jordan in the hill country and in the lowland and on the coast of the great sea toward Lebanon, the Hittite and the Amorite, the Canaanite, the Perizzite, the Hivite, and the Jebusite heard of it, they gathered themselves together with one accord to fight with Joshua and with Israel. So, these city leaders, they begin to form coalitions to fight against Israel. Kings in southern Canaan band together. And we'll see, they start making battle plans. We'll see more about them in chapter 10 next week. And then kings in the north follow their lead and grow a, make a coalition against Israel. We'll see about them in chapter 11. But in the meantime... There's another coalition of cities that are in the middle that come up with a different plan. While Gibeon is described as, in, verse, in chapter 10, Gibeon is described as a large city with many mighty men. Yet they chose not to fight, but to seek peace with Israel. Three more cities we find join them, and these are the cities of the Hivites. Now, the Hivites had already tried to make an alliance with Israel back when it was actually the person Israel, Jacob. In Genesis chapter 34, Jacob's sons were angry at the city of Shechem, which was a Hivite city. For Shechem, whom the city was named after, had raped their sister Dinah. And so they deceived the people of Shechem, told them, if you would circumcise yourselves 
then we will marry, intermarry with you. And then when they did circumcise themselves, well, as they were recovering and in pain, they came and killed all the men in the city. So there's already a history between these two groups. But more importantly, the Hivites are one of the groups of people that are in the land that had been devoted by, devoted by the Lord for destruction. In Deuteronomy chapter 7, God commanded through Moses that Israel was not to make a covenant with these cities. However, in Deuteronomy 20, God told them that they could make peace with cities from far away. Now, it's not clear if the Gibeonite coalition knew the law of God, but their deceit here seems to indicate that they were familiar with it. For they conceived a plan that would allow them to survive annihilation, albeit as vassals to the Israelites. And so they would trick them into making a covenant with them. And they went to these elaborate lengths to make it appear as though they had been traveling for a long time. Their equipment was all worn out, their clothes were patched, their shoes were falling apart, their bread was dry and crumbling, and they claimed, we've come from a faraway country, so therefore they're one whom Israel could make a treaty with, according to the law. Now, if the Gibeonites' claim were true, everything would be fine. Yet, we, as the readers, know that they are lying. And they're hiding their true identity. The Israelite leaders were rightly skeptical of the Hivites. But Gibeon played on Israel's sympathy. They presented their poor provisions to them. And they examined those and thought, these guys have come a long way. And they played on their ego by referencing the fame of God. Look at how great we are. Look at what God's doing. They have surely come. Because of this fame of the Lord. Israel's leaders accepted the evidence that was presented. And they made a treaty with them by accepting the poor tribute that they brought. And they made this peace treaty with them. Promising in the name of the Lord that they would live. But the big problem comes in verse 14. Notice what it says there. They did not ask for the counsel of the Lord. They did not seek his counsel. The failure was contrary to the explicit instructions that God gave to Israel that they should consult him to discern his will by going to Eliezer the priest who would consult the Lord using the Urim. The Israelites' confirmation of the Gibeonites' claims was purely in their own strength and of their own initiative. The mistake on Israel's part was that not that they were deceived but that they did not ask the Lord's counsel. And that gives us the first lesson of our passage this morning. We should seek God's counsel. Probably the most recognized proverb about wisdom that comes from the book of Proverbs, chapter 3, verses 5 through 7. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Now, we don't often include that next verse, verse 7, but listen to it. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. So after their humiliation at, at Ai in, verse, in chapter 7, the Israelites were again embarrassed, for they failed to ask for the counsel of the Lord. And it was not that Joshua and the elders didn't ask the right questions. They were suspicious at all the right points. 
And it wasn't that they were sloppy in their investigation, as some have tried to claim. The problem was they were alone in their decision. It wasn't because they didn't think. It was because they didn't pray. They did not have because they did not ask. And so one of the the problems, one of the troubles with common sense is that instead of relying on God's word and leaning on his everlasting arms, we rely on our experience and lean on our own intuition. We falsely believe, I've got this under control. You know, we're much like the farmer who is riding along with an unknown traveler through some dark woods. The farmer said to his fellow traveler, this place is infamous for robbery. But though I've ridden in it both early in the morning and late at night, I've never seen anything worse than myself. The traveler responded, in good time, as he pulled out his pistol and robbed the farmer. We must not trust in our own experiences, but solely rely on the counsel of the Lord. Psalm 105 verse 4 says, Seek the Lord in his strength. Seek his face continually. What happened when Israel did not seek the Lord? Let's pick up in verse 16. We'll read through verse 21. It came about at the end of three days, after they had made a covenant with them, that they heard that they were neighbors and that they were living within their land. Then the sons of Israel set out and came to the cities on the third day. Now their cities were Gibeon and Chephirah and Baeroth and kiriath Jerim. The sons of Israel did not strike them because the leaders of the congregation had sworn to them by the Lord, the God of Israel, and the whole congregation grumbled against their leaders. But all the leaders said to the whole congregation, we have come, we have sworn to them by the Lord, the God of Israel, and now we cannot touch them. This we will do to them, even let them live, so that the wrath will not be upon us for the oath which we swore to them. And the leaders said to them, let them live. So they became hewers of wood and drawers of water for the whole congregation, just as the leaders had spoken to them. As we would expect, the truth comes to light, and it does so rather quickly. Three days later, they found out that the Gibeonite coalition was not from another land far away, but were in fact nearby one of the cities that they were on their way to destroy. All of these cities were clustered together about five to ten miles to the northwest of Jerusalem. And when this truth comes out, the people of Israel were justifiably upset with their leaders for being duped. And it put the people in an awkward situation. For these are the Canaanites that they were marching forward to go and destroy as instructed by God. But now a peace oath had been taken. What should they do? See, oath-taking and swearing are solemn affairs in the Old Testament. To take an oath was to give one's sacred and unbreakable word that one would follow through on what was promised. So even though the treaty had been evoked under false pretenses, it could not be revoked. And the natural human response to this type of situation would be to try to justify oneself 
in the situation, but the, the leaders did what they should all do, what we should all do when we fall. They took responsibility for their failure. They were the ones who made the treaty with the Gibeonites, not God, but they had sworn on the Lord's name. So it wasn't just their own reputation on the line. And it wasn't even just the name of Israel. It was God's reputation on the line. And here we get our second lesson. We should preserve God's promises. You must remember that if you're a Christian, you represent more than just yourself. Wherever you go, whatever you do, and whatever you say... It's not just your reputation on the line. If you're a member of this church, you represent us, Chandler Southern Baptist Church, to the people in this community. And it doesn't matter if you're a member of this church or not. If you're a Christian, then you are a member of the Lord's church and you represent the name of Jesus wherever you go. The Apostle Paul reminds us that we are ambassadors for Christ. And it is through us that God makes his appeal. We are the ones who have been appointed to go out and to beg people on Christ's behalf to be saved and be reconciled to God. We are his witnesses. But many times, we're not good witnesses. Instead of showing people the God who loves them so much that he sent his only begotten son to die for them, Many times, instead, we are testimonies to the fallen nature of man as we quarrel and we fight with one another. That's why Paul, the apostle, wrote in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 31, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ has also forgiven you. By doing so, we preserve God's promises of peace and demonstrate to the world the love of Christ. And in keeping with their promise to the Gibeonites that they should not be killed, Israel preserved God's promise. But there was still consequence for their deception. The Gibeonites had come to be vassals, but instead they would be slaves. They became hewers of wood and drawers of of water. But look at what the Lord does for them through Joshua, verses 22 through 27. Then Joshua called for them and spoke to them, saying, Why have you deceived us, saying, We are very far from you when you are living within our land? Now, therefore, you are cursed, and you shall never cease being slaves, both hewers of wood and drawers of water, for the house. Of my God. So they answered Joshua and said, Because it was certainly told your servants that the Lord your God had commanded his servant Moses to give you all the land and to destroy all the inhabitants of the land before you. Therefore, we feared greatly for our lives because of you and have done this thing. Now, behold, we are in your hands. Do as it seems good and right in your sight to do to us. Thus, he did to them and delivered them from the hands of the sons of Israel, and they did not kill them. But Joshua made them that day hewers of wood and drawers of water for the congregation and for the altar of the Lord to this day in the place 
which he would choose. So Joshua reinforces what the elders had already proclaimed. Not only would they be Israel's slaves, but they would be their slaves forever. Now, that sounds horrible. Because we have an association of what slavery is in our American mindset. But you must remember that slavery was commonly practiced in the ancient Near East. But in the ancient world outside of Israel, slaves had no rights. God's law allowed for slavery, but his law gave some basic rights to slaves. And it, it curtailed the actions of their masters in a historically unprecedented way. God's law extended to the slaves the right to marry, the right to keep a wife, the right not to be sold to a foreigner, and the right to food and clothing. It limited the master's use of their corporal punishment, and it even included the right to be adopted into the family by marriage. And the very fact of their slavery was of itself an act of mercy. Because remember what's supposed to happen to them. They are supposed to die. They're marked for destruction. But instead, God spared their lives. Notice the response they gave Joshua, Joshua when he asked them why they lied to Israel. They expressed a knowledge of what God was intending to do to them to for his people and it's quite similar to what Rahab had done back in chapter 2 so notice the grace that they're extended here in the end of this chapter the Gibeonites are cursed to be slaves yet even in their slavery Joshua says you're going to be servants in the house of the Lord they had been marked for destruction but now not only are their lives saved they're serving in the centerpiece of Israel's unity and worship at the altar of the Lord. By grace, those outside of the covenant are brought in to the presence of God. Deuteronomy chapter 29, verses 10 through 13 says, You stand today, all of you, before the Lord your God, your chiefs, your tribes, your elders, your officers, even all the men of Israel, your little ones, your wives, and the alien who is within your camps from the one who chops your wood, the hewer of wood, and the one who draws your water, the drawers of water, that you may enter into the covenant with the Lord your God and into his oath, which the Lord your God is making with you today, in order that he may establish you today as his people and that he may be your God, just as he spoke to you and swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So although they are slaves, the Gibeonites are considered to be part of Israel now, and part of the covenant of God. Later we see in the book of Nehemiah that after the exile, after they've gone and they come back and they rebuild the temple, there are Gibeonites included among them. They appear to have been fully assimilated among the Jews and as much believers in Yahweh as Rahab and the other foreign converts and just as much recipients of God's grace. And from this, we learn our final lesson from this passage. That is, we should 
extend God's mercy. Scripture tells us over and over that we should extend mercy to others. Jesus said it in Luke chapter 6, verse 36, Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. And in Matthew 5, 7, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. The prophet Micah had said in Micah 6, 8, He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. Given what we deserve, every day that we live is an act of mercy. According to the Bible, we've all transgressed God's law, and for that we all deserve death. But Titus chapter 3, verses 4-7 through seven says, But when the kindness of God our Savior and His love for mankind appeared, He saved us, not on the basis of deeds by which we've done in righteousness, but according to His mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by His grace, we would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. And I think that's the greatest trouble with common sense. Because common sense would tell us we get what we deserve. But if we are in Christ, God doesn't give us what we deserve. Instead, God gives us what we don't deserve. We deserve nothing good from God. God doesn't owe us any good thing. What good we experience is simply a result of God's grace. And he gives us the right through Jesus to be adopted as his children. Freely you have been given. Freely so should you give. And if you've not received the gift of God's grace and his mercy that he extends to you, the offer is available for you this day. As we have our time of response, if you've never accepted the free gift that Jesus gives us, won't you come accept God's mercy and grace? Let's pray. Thank you for listening to my podcast. Please subscribe to catch the latest episodes and find me on YouTube. Until next time, go out and pierce the darkness with the light of his word.